Welcome to the Renovation Church Podcast, Pastor Leonce here. I know that you want to make an investment that matters in your community. You want to change lives. But often the problems of our community seem too big uh, for us to solve alone. And I don't know about you, but at times that has made me feel helpless. The reality, though, is that everyone should be able to make an impactful investment in the lives of the people in their community. And trust me, I understand uh, all of us have experienced a problem that we felt helpless and powerless to solve on our own. But I can tell you that for 12 years, Renovation Church and myself have partnered together as a ministry to solve issues in our community that we could not solve alone. So I'm inviting you today to pray, to assess your opportunities and hopefully led by the Lord to invest so that we can accomplish the great things that God wants to do through us for our partners like Wellspring, uh, for our partners like Promise 686, for Union Church in Lima and several others. I'm inviting you today to make a significant year-end investment. And if you're unclear of that exact investment that you should make, I'd love for you to schedule a meeting with one of our pastors so that we can cast this vision for you. And of course, if you do, you'll make an impact in the lives of your community and you'll know it and you will feel the gift that giving is in a world that takes so much. For more information, visit renovationchurch.com. Looking forward to seeing you in a service very soon. Well, again, it's so good to be with you today. If this is your first time uh, with a spiritual family, with a church community, a very special welcome to you, whether you're joining us online from somewhere around the world or here in the room, a very special welcome to you. Uh, there's something important that you need to know about us, about our culture. Maybe the most important thing you need to know about us, and that is that renovation is a spiritual family where you can belong before you believe, okay? That's important to us. In fact, you can belong while you work out what you believe. And so uh, if you don't yet believe the gospel or maybe you're in a, a season of deconstruction and reconstruction, this is a place for you to do that safely in the context of community. Uh, today, we enter the Advent season as a church. The uh, Christian calendar would tell you that it started last week because it did, but we're starting uh, this week. And, and if you don't come from a Christian background or maybe you don't come from a more traditional Christian expression. Let me tell you what Advent is. Advent is a time dedicated to spiritual preparation and a time to commemorate Jesus' birth. It's also a time that's uniquely set aside in the church calendar uh, for uh, repentance and soul searching. It's a time to look inside for those of us who are practicers of the way of Jesus and ask if our life is actually aligned with what we say we believe. Now, many Christians celebrate Advent all over the world. Uh, they celebrate the coming of Jesus as a baby to earth. They celebrate the presence of Jesus through his spirit now. And I'm excited uh, about our Advent series this year because I love Christmas songs. Uh, in fact, everybody loves Christmas songs. Unless you're the Grinch or the devil, you, you love Christmas songs, okay? And, uh, and I'm super stoked to, to spend the next couple of weeks working through some of my favorites. Today, we're going to do the first Noel. By show of hands, who knows what a Noel is that did not learn this morning in pre-production meeting? One person. All right. Bring that wisdom, sir. Oh, we got two. We got one in the back. I see that hand. I see that hand. Uh, today we're going to do the first Noel, December 17, O Come All Ye Faithful. 
And then Christmas Eve, we're going to close out our year together singing joy to the world and learning about that song. So uh, join us over these few weeks. I think you'll be blessed by it, and I think you'll enjoy learning some of the rich truth underneath these songs. With that, if you have a paper or digital Bible, uh, either one will work. We're going to be in Matthew's Gospel today, uh, chapter 2. Um, we're just going to read one verse together. We'll walk all the way through verse 11, but we're just going to read one together. Matthew uh, chapter 2, verse 1. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him Omas, the word of the Lord, and if you would say with me, thanks be to God. Please pray for me as I pray for you. Father, we ask now in the name of Jesus that you would move through your word in power. Uh, Father, I pray specifically that you would set me aside, hide me beneath your hand so that you are visible to all of your people in all of your beauty and all of your splendor. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my Redeemer, and would our hearts be transformed under the hearing of the word. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. I want to start with a question. Maybe stoke your imagination. Do you remember the first time you heard your favorite Christmas song? Can you remember? Can you think that far back for some of us? The first time you heard your favorite Christmas song. Uh, the first time that I heard mine, uh, I was a little boy. I remember it distinctly. Uh, I don't remember the details. I'm pretty sure at the time I didn't even know the words. But when I first heard the first Noel, I remember the smells and the sights and the sounds of Christmas. I remember my parents laughing and drinking eggnog that they would not allow us to have. Uh, I remember vibrating in my chair, waiting for the opportunity to open up our presence with my little brother, complete uh, with Thundercat pajamas. Uh, I remember this so well. It's one of my core memories. And so this song today is incredibly special to me. Now, my favorite version now is undoubtedly Nat Cole's. That is without argument. It's not even a conversation. I don't think you're saved if you think otherwise. No, just <laughs> it's my favorite. Now, the first Noel, it turns out, is one of the oldest Christmas songs still sung today. Uh, it first appeared in print in 1833, uh, but historians have dated its origins to at least 300 years before that at least 300 years before that. England and France both claim uh, to be the origin place of the song, not surprising, uh, but the exact place of its birth can't be pinpointed. And, and the little evidence we have points to this carol migrating from England and eventually finding its way to France. What Noel means, I asked you at the top by a show of hands, if you knew what Noel meant, what Noel means is a joyful shout expressing exhilaration at the birth of Jesus. So since it's Advent season, I'm going to say, can I get a Noel? Noel? There we go. That's a Noel, right? So no matter what church background you came from, the Bible tells you to shout, okay? That's a Noel. It's an exhilaration at the birth of Jesus. And, and the writer knew enough about language to use this all-encompassing term to start the song's chorus. Now, the author does miss the mark in a couple of places, and I'm not being critical, but I just need you to be knowledgeable. And the main place that he erred is depicting the shepherds following the star of Jesus. We'll sing it together at the end, and you'll see what I mean. Only the wise men actually followed the star, which he also depicts in the song. Uh, and, and that's not a judgment on him because the time, unfortunately, lent itself to that type of situation. 
uh, it's the rule rather than the exception of the Middle Ages due to a lack of literacy and a lack of availability of the scriptures. Listen, if you have a Bible, you have one of the most precious things in the world because for generations, people did not have their own Bibles. They can only get the word delivered from a priest who had to pray for them to get into heaven, right? I grew up a part-time Catholic. I could tell you all about that. And in many parts of the world right now, there are people who still don't have a Bible. And so if you have a Bible and, and the cover is starting to roll up because it's been sitting in the back window of your car for some time, take it out, open it up, and see if God will meet you there. Amen? Amen. Whoever wrote this carol was enthusiastic about Christmas, and he fully understood the wonder and majesty of Jesus' birth. And with no Bible to guide him, listen, with no Bible to guide him, he drew from the stories about the events of Jesus' birth. In the Middle Ages, in fact, this song is the song that started the entire Christmas season for everybody. It was the song that they turned to first. Though neither the words nor the music were written down, the first Noel has survived. And for the first 300 years of its existence... The first Noel, like all other carols, was not a part of any religious service. You see, even if these songs embraced the themes of scripture and extolled the beauty of Jesus, they were not sung in church because new songs were not allowed in most churches. The clergy actually disdained carols. They, they hated them. And so the first Noel became the holiday voice of the people. They relate the joy of Christmas and the wonder of God sending Jesus, this is important, sending Jesus to save every person regardless of their status, station, economic position, education, color, or creed. He came for everybody. And they sang that song with that understanding. The first Noel was finally written down and published by William Sandys in 1833. The Church of England soon adopted it as one of their worship songs during services, and, and it found universal acclaim. It remains one of the most beloved Christmas songs, and, and still, even as it does, we have to wonder how and why it survived when there are literally thousands of better written songs that have been long forgotten. Aside from the sheer providence of God, anyone who has ever sung the song cannot deny the jubilant spirit of the music or the writer. His faith shines through as it is clear that he believes every single word that he is saying and he is excited to share the story of his Savior. And so the first Noel in that way represents the essence of Christmas, doesn't it? It represents the essence of Christmas. It represents the one element that seems to elude so many, especially in the West in our commercialized Christmas season, it, it, it leans into the one element that eludes so many of us during this season, and that is the announcement of Jesus' arrival on earth as Savior and as King. Amen? But what does it mean for you to have a king? What does it mean for me that Jesus is king? Well, even the idea of a king is challenging for us to discern, isn't it? We, we live in a democracy, kind of. We elect our leaders. They do not have absolute and uncontested power and authority. And so because of that, we struggle to follow them fully, often rightly, right? We are raised so individualistically in the West that a wholehearted following of any leadership is a challenge because we're raised to look at ourselves first. It's a challenge for us to follow any human being. And if we're honest, if we're honest, 
that individualism, that Americana, that Western understanding of how the world works, it is also the challenge we have with following Jesus fully. It's at the heart of it. It's at the heart of it. Even those of us who would say we follow the way of Jesus. Listen, we love Jesus as Savior. We love him as Savior. But we struggle as King. We love Jesus as Savior. We, we love the Jesus that died for me, that loves me and died for me. But we struggle with him as leader in every area of our lives. In fact, I think we could say that we often live as though we don't have a king. In fact, here's the litmus test. Let me give you some words, word association. Love, dependence, reverence. Celebration, submission. Do these things characterize how you interact with Jesus? Not just in the privacy of your personal devotion, but in your public displays of your affection for him. You see, the reality is, listen, the reality is that we often treat Jesus as an elected official. Judging the job he's doing by how he responds to the thing that we want him to respond to in the way that we want him to respond. His royalty, his royalty is a topic to be examined, but not a reality to shape our whole lives. And yet, among the many beautiful themes we could extrapolate from the first Noel, the one that shines brightest is Jesus. Listen, born king of Israel and of all creation. The writer of the first Noel understood that scripture is clear. If you practice the way of Jesus, for our old heads in the room, if you are a Christian, for our 90s babies in the room, if you're a follower of the way, Whatever expression you want to use to capture the fact that you have been rescued by Jesus. If that is who you are, then you have to understand that you don't just have a savior, you have a king. And there are implications. There are implications to living life under the leadership of a king. In fact, the kingship of Jesus has always inspired one of two responses, fear or reverence. It inspired reverence in the wise men, a reverence captured by the author of the first Noel. Matthew, if you're following along in Matthew chapter two, Matthew, uh, the former IRS man, uh, he writes that when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, wise men from the east came to, to Jerusalem, verse one and two. And the men came searching for the long ago predicted, Christians would say prophesied, the long ago predicted king of the Jews. Some scholars believe that when Daniel was in exile in Babylon, 
that he actually established a school of sorts that trained wise men in the ways of the Lord and how to discern the times. Other scholars would tell you that, that it was at the intersection of these wise men with other Jewish people in Babylon during the diaspora that they became familiar with the Old Testament writings about a future Messiah and the king of Israel. Maybe even, perhaps, they remembered Balaam's prophecy from Numbers 24, 17, a star shall come out of Jacob and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. If you don't know, Balaam is a guy in the Old Testament who had a talking donkey that rebuked him. Whatever their reasonings, whatever their reasonings, their mission was clear. Find and worship the king. Find and worship the king. The movement of the star itself reveals to us that this was a supernatural phenomenon, if you're looking at it. Perhaps it was a guiding angel shining so brightly that the wise men mistook it for a bright star. Perhaps God did a heavenly phenomena that produced the brightest star that they had ever seen, uh, more than the ones that he had already created. Either way, it was enough for this group of men flanked by attendants and guards to follow it for a minimum of 40 days. I know you've read in your Bible stories, it was like, and then the wise men came, right? And they just popped up and they just, no, it was at least a 40-day journey. It was at least a 40-day journey to do what? One thing, find and bow down and worship King Jesus. And there's a lesson for us in that. You see, all of us will go to great lengths to revere what we honor. We will go to great lengths to revere what we honor. Here's what I mean. I'm a huge music fan. You've probably gathered that. Uh, I love all genres of music. I love live music. Uh, I've been to a few concerts that might be disconcerting for most of you. And, uh, and I've experienced lots of live jazz music. But right now, one of two things that I want to do, because I said it was the only thing I wanted to do, and then I remember there was something else I wanted to do. But what I want to do more than anything right now is go to Las Vegas and see you two in the sphere. I've been thinking about it. I've been, I've been asking the Lord to help me get my money up uh, so I could go because the experience looks otherworldly. And in fact, I was talking to a friend recently, and he went. He told me I went to see you two at the sphere, and he was... I mean, he was low-key bragging, but it's okay. I didn't get offended by it. Uh, and he said that he had traveled across the country to Las Vegas. This is a direct quote, to experience the wonder. And when I asked him what it was like, what was it like? What was it like? Tell me more. Allow me to live through you, sir. He said, jokingly, it was almost a conversion experience. <laughs> He has a great reverence for their music. Listen. So he went to great lengths to honor that reverence by traveling to see them, by paying a good deal amount of money for tickets to see them. And you too as a band, a great band of human beings, and they do happen to love Jesus. But I point this out because I want to ask the question. If you too is given money and time and travel and honor for a musical gift God gave them, is honoring Jesus not of exponentially greater value? Is he not worthy of more? I would say yes, he is. And I'm not setting up a false dichotomy here. Don't put words in my mouth. 
I'm not saying you can't travel for things that you love. I'm not saying that. If you got it, do you, boo-boo. I'm not upset. I'm not upset. You can go see Tony, Tony, Tony and still love Jesus. That's the second thing I want to do. <laughs> they touring right now, so if y'all could just help me get my money up uh, for Christmas. I would love to go see Tony, Tony, Tony. You two's a stretch, but Tony, 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 they're going to be in like Birmingham. I just drive over. Okay. <laughs> Treat yourself. So don't put words in my mouth. I'm not, I'm not saying that you can't enjoy the things of life and love Jesus. What I want you to do is reflect. I want you to search your heart and see if there is anything in your life that gets your money, your time, your affection, and your honor that may be clouding your capacity to honor Jesus as he deserves. That's all I want you to do today is reflect. The other response to the kingship of Jesus is fear. And I'm not talking about the fear of the Lord that leads to repentance. No, that would be better translated as reverence. I'm talking about the fear in one's heart, listen, that says, if Jesus is king, what am I in danger of losing? If Jesus is king, what am I in danger of losing? King Herod, a puppet king appointed by Rome, ruled with cruelty and unchecked power. This dude was wild He murdered his wife. He murdered several of his children. He murdered several other relatives, all for trying to contest his authority. And so as a reasonable person, you have to ask yourself, why would he be afraid of this? Matthew tells us that when Herod heard the wise men were there to worship the king of the Jews, he was frightened, verse 3. Why? Why was he afraid when he was the one in absolute power? I'll tell you why. Because he was afraid of losing that very power. He was scared that the corrupt governmental and religious leadership that he ruled over would crumble. He was fearful of losing the fear-induced praises of the people. He was afraid of losing control. He was afraid of losing autonomy. He was afraid of losing authority. He was afraid of losing his will. He was afraid of losing. He gathered his folks, chief priests and the scribes, verse 4 and 5 tell us, to try alleviating this fear. And all they did was confirm it. In fact, look at it with me. He said, where is the Messiah to be born, this new king? And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. And the prophets even spoke about it. The king of the Jews and the Messiah were one and the same. In fact, what they did here, and this happens a lot in the New Testament, they've taken two Old Testament prophecies and condensed them into one scripture, two Old Testament scriptures and condensed them into one. If you want to write them down, Micah 5.2, 2 Samuel 5.2. And you, Bethlehem in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Bethlehem was the birthplace of Israel's great earthly king, David. And the Messiah, the Lord said, the king of the Jews had to be 
be born of his line in his birthplace at the time that he was born to fulfill God's words through his prophets. And Jesus was both. He was the fulfillment. He was the Messiah, the Mashiach, and he was the long-awaited king in the lineage of David. And I think Herod's issue, well, it's a part of our issue as well, isn't it? We don't worship Jesus as king because we are afraid of what it might cost us or what we might lose. Jesus as savior, simple, Mm -hmm. tasty, (laughs) wonderful. He loved, this is what Paul said, he loved me and died for me. That's the truth. That is the truth. It is the truth. Jesus is Savior, delicious. We love it. It's easy. Jesus is King. Well, that's another matter altogether. That's another matter altogether. Jesus is King. Well, well, that means that there are things in my life that must change to align with the wishes and the will of the King. Jesus is King. Well, I don't have any control when I'm under the leadership of a king. I don't have autonomy when I'm under the leadership of a king. I no longer make and play by my own rules when I'm under the leadership of a king. Why? Because my life is orchestrated to serve the interest of the king. That's what it means to have a king. And it's that part. Serving the interest of the king, or rather, a lot in the West, refusing to do so. That is the biggest turnoff for our de-churched neighbors and unchurched neighbors from the faith that we say that we have. If the church divides, and it is, because we are clamoring for political power, Instead of uniting under the rule of our only king, how can we expect those who are far from God to want to be a part of this kind of spiritual family? We're not together. Nobody shows up and says, I want to be invited into a broken home. It is eternal. If our lives look little different from theirs, how can we expect them to see a difference in living life under the kingship of Jesus versus living life on their own terms when we are living on our own terms? I distinctly remember coming to this crossroads. I'd accepted Jesus, that he is God, that he died for my sins, that he rose from death and with power. You can talk, I like that. That he reunited me with the Father, that he restored what human beings broke in the Garden of Eden. I had accepted all of that. Well, I got hung up though. Well, I got a little pinched. What's the implications of that truth? You see, and I'm talking about me. I would never talk about you. I'm talking about me. I wanted Jesus to be my savior. But I wanted Leonce to remain king of his life. King of his choices. King of his actions. 
king of his words, king of his relationships, king of his direction, king of his resources. But that is not possible. That is not possible. Either Jesus is king over everything or he's not king at all. In fact, N.T. Wright put it this way. He said, the gospel in the New Testament is the good news that God, the world's creator, is at last becoming king. And that Jesus, whom this God raised from the dead, is the world's true Lord. If Jesus is these things, then he cannot just be our savior. He must be our king. Well, the story tells us that Bethlehem was only about 10 kilometers or six miles from Jerusalem. I said kilometers because we made up miles for no reason. Um, there's a great sketch on SNL by a comedian named Nate Bargatze. It changed my life. I watch it once a week. Never laughed so hard in my life. Uh, miles is made up. I just want to tell you that today. America. Um, six, 10 kilometers. And the star gave specific and localized directions as it came to rest over Jesus' location. When the wise men arrived, look at verse 11 with me. Surely weary from their long journey, they were undeterred in what they had come to do. Going into the house and seeing the young child, and, and maybe you don't know this, Jesus was not a baby at this point. He probably would have been about two years old. So I guess that's kind of a baby. I don't know where you fall in that camp. I stopped counting months after 18. People be like, my son, 200 months old. I'm like, okay, we're, we've got a problem. You stop counting months at a point. He was, you know, he was about two years old at the two years old. Uh, at the, you know, I'm, I'm 72,000 months. He's, uh, he's about two years old at this point. And they come into the house and they see the young child with his mother. And the Bible tells us that they fell down. They fell down. And they worshiped him. They worshiped him. As God, they worshiped him as king. They offered the gifts they'd brought, which we associate with this season. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When I was a little boy, I thought that said myra. It's, it's myrrh. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Listen, they treasured Jesus as king. Don't miss this. They treasured Jesus as king so they brought their best treasure to Jesus. They treasured Jesus as king, so they brought their best treasure to Jesus. They brought it to him. You see, when we genuinely treasure Jesus as king, nothing will restrain us from bringing our first and our best because it's a response to his kingship. Christmas isn't just about any old king or some generic savior. Instead, the central claim of Christianity, of early Christianity, is that Jesus is the king of Israel, the expected son of David who would deliver his people. Yes, we affirm the universal scope of Jesus' rule, but in that we often miss his particular identity that Jesus rules over the universe as Israel's messianic king. In fact, the very definition of Messiah in the Hebrew Bible and in Second Temple Judaism is this, the coming Davidic king who will deliver Israel, bring God's rule over the world, and in doing so, 
the nations of the earth would come to know Israel's God and become a part of his people. Now, if you don't practice the way of Jesus, listen, that is a central invitation for you to become a part of God's people. Yes, Jesus died for your sins. He died for your sins. He rose from death in power so that you and I would know the power of his resurrection. And because we are mostly in the South, except for some of those who are joining us online today, because we're mostly in the South, even if you didn't grow up in church, you grew up church adjacent. And so most of you are probably familiar with those words that Jesus died on a cross and, and rose from death. I'm sure you've heard it a thousand times, but don't miss the point of those truths. The point is to reunite all of humanity with the Father God who created them. Jesus died and rose to restore your relationship with the living God and place you in a spiritual family, his family, his people. And so if you haven't, done that, yet here's your invitation. Jesus has extended it. The question is, will you accept it today? I assure you that life with Jesus as king is exceedingly better than life on your own terms. I've tried both. Now, why does all this matter for us? Well, last year, I'll, I'll share this. Last year, I spent a lot of time studying the kingdom of God for my doctoral coursework. And here's something that I wrote that I think will help us understand why it is paramount that we see Jesus as king. The kingdom of God is the realm of God's reign. It is the realm in which the kingship of Jesus is the prevailing rule. Followers of the way, by virtue of being in the realm of the king, experience the blessings of his reign. In other words, the kingdom of God is a future reality and realm as well as a present reality and realm. And though Jesus' people cannot fully experience the fullness of his reign now, they can experience it in part and live in expectation of its complete revelation. Jesus' kingship matters, listen, because it is the defining boundary of the kingdom that you and I, if we practice the way of Jesus, say we belong to. In other words, how can we say we belong to the kingdom? and live like we don't have a king. Those two things can't go together. And so if you're challenged today at all, maybe the question you're asking is, what do I do now? Well, this is going to be shockingly simple. I didn't say easy. Don't confuse those two words. Okay? I said simple. All right? Faith is simple. It's just not easy sometimes. Because we want to do what we want to do the way we want to do it. It is our central OS. Right? And the Holy Spirit be like, reboot, 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 reboot. Right? <laughs> this is going to be far more simple than you would imagine. Live like you have a king. That's it. Live like Jesus is king. Acknowledge the kingship of Jesus over every area of your life. King over your decisions. King over your relationships. King over your resources. King over your calling. Share the good news of the gospel like Jesus is king. Gather weekly for worship like Jesus is king. Commit to serving in the church and in the world like Jesus is king. Commit to community in this spiritual family because Jesus is king. 
Give like Jesus is king. Vote like Jesus is king. Work like Jesus is king. Love like Jesus is king. In these ways, we show the world that the kingship of Jesus is real, it is present, it is better. It is better. And we show the world that we belong to his kingdom. In fact, can you imagine, do this for me, close your eyes if you would. I want you to try to imagine, try, turn turn on your imagination, paint a picture. Can you imagine what our city would look like if everyone who said they practiced the way of Jesus lived like Jesus is king? Can I tell you a few things I think would happen? Divisions would break down. Poverty would diminish. Women and children would be loved and protected. Local government would be challenged. Crime would decrease. Why? Because history has shown us That when Jesus is honored as king over his people in every area of their lives, the places they occupy benefit exponentially. And so my question to you today, family, is why not here? Why not now? Why not us? That's the call to follow the king. Father, we pray now in the name of Jesus that you would help us to see Jesus as king over our lives, to live as though we have a king, transform our hearts and our minds to not only intellectually accept the truth of the salvific work of Jesus, but to live in the rule and reign of our king. We ask this in the precious and matchless name of Jesus. Amen.